yarn, yarn, thirteen, the boxer and the bomber. What follows is based on a true story. It took place in Dublin in 1923. What? What's that? Oh, my head. I should have stopped Charlie from buying me that last bottle of champagne. Was that the last bottle? I can't remember. Whose bed is this? I'm on a fucking ship. Charlie, you bastard. I have to get out of here. Bonjour, madame. No, 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 no. There's no need to scream. Shit, I'm only half dressed. And now I can get back into my room. Charlie? Linda? Is that them sitting in their chairs? He's seen me. Louis, go to your work. Charlie, where am I? What have you done? Linda, how could you let him do this to me? Now calm down, Louis. You're scaring the other passengers. You should be the scared one, Charlie. How would you like to go overboard? Louis, mon ami. It was the only way to get you to... This is for your own good. Linda agrees, don't you, Linda? Is this true, Linda? Look at me. Sweet Linda. She never says a word. Shelly must have bullied her into it while I was passed out. He probably hired a couple of goons to carry me down the docks. Then, a bribe for some ship's attendant to look the other way while they dump me in a cabin. Louis, there's no turning back now. We left Sherbourne almost 10 hours ago. We'll be in Dublin by tomorrow morning. I've already arranged a date for the fight with the Irish promoter. It's only a month away. Training starts now. I want six lapses of the ship before breakfast. Off you go, Siki. My world champion, my battling ape. The battling Siki. That's what the world calls me. Not my real name, Louis Fall. Shirley says he couldn't think of a more unfortunate name for a boxer than Fall. I'm a sorry jungle ape that can't be tamed. My skull is so thick I feel no punches. I've never even seen a jungle. I grew up in the port of St. Louis in Senegal. We had nothing. We fished the harbor for food and dive shipwrecks for anything we could sell. I had barely learned to walk by the time I was swimming through underwater graves, stealing from the dead. Then one day a white woman sees me. She says she's a famous actress from Germany and she'd like to take me home with her. I'm perfect for one of her shows, she says. A baby savage. She already has lions and tigers that can do the most wonderful tricks, she says. My mother tells me to go with the lady. There's nothing for me here, she says. I can still remember the tears in her eyes. That's the last I saw of my family.
Sometimes I wonder if they're still there in St. Louis. I'm absolutely breaking it. Bridgie, would you stop turning around to see if I'm following you and concentrate on where you're going? It's not my fault I'm falling behind. The chain on the show keeps sticking on me and the basket weighs a ton. God, I haven't the faintest where we are. I just hope Bridgie knows where she's going. Lots of soldiers around tonight. The cheek of that one, patting down an old man. Do they think we're all out to kill them? Oh, here's Bridgie slowing up finally. Lizzie, that's it up there on the left. I hope she's right. Granso, here we go. The picture house is open for business. The 8pm showing has already started. They're all in there watching the newsreel about now, I'd say. No free staters or CID in sight. I'm to go in as far as the foyer and leave Bridgie holding the bikes outside. I have the mine. Jesus. But where's the fuse for it? it it's, in, it's in the basket somewhere. I put it in there myself. Oh, I have it. Bridgie, stop looking at me like I'm an idiot. Fuse attached. And lit. We've got two minutes. That's long enough of a warning for anyone too close. Everyone is in the theatre. Wait, there's still an owl lad behind the sweet stand. I have my announcement memorised. This establishment is in violation of the public amusement's order. You've got 30 seconds to get out of here before the place gets lit up. He's not moving. Probably in shock, the poor crater. Go on, mister. Get out, now. This fuse is burning away fast. I'll throw it in the ticket booth over there. Bridgie is still there holding my high Nelly, thank God. Let's get out of here. The bike's a lot lighter without the mine in it, or maybe that's just the adrenaline pouring out of me. Where's Bridgie? She's shouting after me. He's clear. So the old lad got out. We don't have long now before... Oh, my heart is racing. We must be about 200 yards up the road at this stage, but there's no sound of any explosion. It should have gone off by now. Bridgie says, stating the obvious. I know that. I lit the fuse myself. Did you not light the fuse? The gall on her. I did. Well, either the fuse blew out or the mine is a dud. Are you sure you lit it, girl? I'm sure, I say. Right, well, then I hope for your sake it was a dud. Otherwise we'll look like a right pair of feckin' amateurs. I checked the paper the next day. Lucky for us, it was a dud. Failed to detonate, it says. Our mission was nothing compared to the string of antics going on lately. The Rotunda Theatre is still smoking away after being lit up last month and a mine went off at the cinema on Abbey Street last week. Injured eight civilians, they said. They were well warned, of course. A couple of our lads even went and fired a few rounds over the heads of some golfers out at Port Marnock Golf Course last weekend. Four! Scared the shite out of them. But nothing is stopping the Free Staters from executing our lads. Twenty in Kerry the other week. 
Now they've executed more than the Brits ever did. Well done, lads. I hope you're proud of yourselves. So the chief says we have to show them who's actually running the country. We're issuing an order to all Irish citizens. It goes... <clears throat> it is ordered that a time of national mourning be proclaimed. All sport and amusements be suspended. All picture houses and theatres and other places of public amusement be closed. Especially horse riding, hunting, coursing, dancing and outdoor sports. Anyone refusing this order will be treated as an enemy of the Republic. A few days after our trip to the pictures, Bridgie re-emerges. She says the battalion commander and the quartermaster want to see us. Oh shite. They'll want to know what went wrong with the mine. The actress lady puts me in a travel trunk. She says I'm not to make a sound while they load me on the ship. But she'll come find me as soon as we are out at sea. I'm so afraid in the dark. I don't even know how much time has passed. Whether it's night or day. Eventually I hear her calling me. Banging the trunk as hard as I can. I hear her getting closer. She opens the case. I'm about to jump out, but she says, no, I can't. I have to stay hidden until we get to Marseille. She leaves me some food and water, then shuts the lid again. I'm back in the deck. I get woken up when the trunk starts moving violently. I hear men shouting and banging. Light spills into the keyhole. And then everything is quiet again. So I wait and wait, nothing. When the light from outside the trunk turns to darkness, I know something has gone wrong. She's not coming. I force the case open. I'm alone. I sleep on the streets of Marseille for more nights than I want to remember. I learn to fight my way out of situations. I'm good at it. People start paying me to fight. In warehouses, dockyards, clubs, Eventually hotels and theatres. I spend my money on whiskey, caviar, champagne, tailored suits and women. They say how civilized I look for a boxing ape. Charlie starts turning up at my bouts. He says he can get me a world championship fight. He knows the right people, he says. He says he'll get me to America. He can make it happen, he says. Sweating bullets. Relax, Lizzie. You've done nothing wrong. It'll be grand. I'm, I'm sure he's a reasonable man. How are you, Lizzie? Okay, he's smiling. That's not too bad. You haven't been in Dublin long, have you? About a year now, I suppose. But you're from Dungarvan, aren't you? You're a Keaton, aren't you? I am, I say. And you're not married? 
I'm not, no, are you? Oh, Jesus, why did I say that? Sir, we're sorry about the cinema job. That mine didn't go off. Ah, don't worry about that. You kept yourself together. That's the main thing. Oh, thank God. He doesn't mind the mine. We've got another job for you ladies. A very important job. We need people who can keep their heads and who can go places unnoticed. You've proven you can do both. You come from a good fighting family, Lizzie. Your brother, God rest him, he was some soldier. I'm not surprised he's heard of my family. Our house down in Dungarvan was practically military HQ during the Tan War. The whole lot of us had to do our bit for the cause. I remember my first job. I was to get the train up to Dublin with my sister Cathy. We met the quartermaster in the Clarence Hotel and he gave us a pile of revolvers and bullets for the lads back down home. Cathy said we should fill our suitcases with knickers and nightdresses and hide the guns under them so it might embarrass any tans from rooting around in our unmentionables. We were on the train back down that evening. Jesus, the weight of the cases almost killed us. When we got home to Dungarvan, the station platform was packed with tans. We had to walk right through them. One of them goes to lift Cathy's case off the train for her. If they felt the weight of it, they might think to search it, so she shouts out, I've no need of help from the likes of you. They tell us to fuck off with ourselves then and leave us walk on. I was petrified. There was always a supply of arms hidden around our house. Ammunition up the chimney, revolvers under the baby's cot, rifles stuck in the thatched roof. The Brits would raid the house every so often. They turned the place upside down. It used to put my mother in some state. They came bursting in one Sunday. There was a bandolier full of bullets draped over the chair in the dairy room. We all thought we were done for. The Egypts upended the whole house but didn't see what was right in front of them. My grandmother said they missed it only for her praying to St Anthony to blind them. I'd say it was more to do with the smell of drink of them. After aching out fight after fight, when I finally get my first world title shot, it comes with a catch. It's against Gorgios Georges Carpenter, the reigning world light heavyweight champion, a Frenchman, a movie star, a warrior and of course, white. The bout was billed as the gentleman versus the savage. I don't have to tell you who was who. I knew I could easily take him. Then I could set my sights on Johnson. I wanted Johnson more than anything. Charlie sits me down for a few days before Carpenter fight in Paris. You are going down in the six. Fuck you, Charlie. I'm not diving. This is how it's going to work, Louis. This is the only way. The next one will be for real. And then we'll go after Johnson. Does Carpenter know? I say. Is he in on this? Charlie just says, that's no concern of mine. That means he is. I'm to sleep in the second round to let everyone know the fix is on. On the night of the fight, there's a man-made mist over the ring. A mixture of cigarette smoke and steam collected from the thousands of hard bodies squeezed into the arena. When George walks out, he showered with chairs and rose petals. I walk out to an avalanche of booze and banana skins. It's scheduled for 20 rounds, but I know it will be over in six. I won't even break a sweat. I sleep in the second, 
It's on. George knows it, and so does the ref. But in the third, George starts talking to me. Go back to the jungle, Siki. What is he doing? Is he trying to get me to fight him for real? Just as the bell rings, and we turn to our corners, he thumps me on the back of the head. I thought your head is too thick to feel anything. I spin around and land one in his lower spine. The half pulls us apart. I've had it with this gentleman, George. Charlie sees it in my eyes. Now remember, Siki, the sixth. I'm not listening to him. My eyes are fixed on Carpenter. As soon as the bell for the fourth rings, I rush out and start pummeling Carpenter. He spits in my face, kicks me in the shin, but nothing can stop me. I know I have to finish this now. If I have to go back to my corner, Charlie will just throw in the towel. He'll say I'm injured. No, I'm finishing this now. Finally, I land the perfect blow and I feel Carpenter's cheekbone collapse into his face. He backpedals for a few steps before falling straight over. He's out. But there's no count. The referee disqualifies me. Trip, he says. I trip Carpenter? He declares Carpenter the winner even though he's still flat on his back unconscious. The crowd are enraged. They are refusing to leave the arena. After an hour, the judge gives in and declares me the winner. But there is no ceremony or presentation. Shelley is furious with me. The French Boxing Commission are furious. They are even more incensed when I tell the press that there was a fix, but I couldn't go along with it. The Boxing Commission denies it, of course. They come up with some bullshit reason to suspend my boxing license. Even if I could find someone to challenge me, it's illegal for me to fight in France now. Charlie leaves me. He says he's done with my antics. I don't care. Fuck Charlie. Fuck the boxing commission. Fuck your George. My little brother Pat was the favourite. And Mammy's pet. Fierce popular with all the lads and the girls were always after him. Trouble was the tans were always after him too. They wanted him dead or alive. He was the leader of his column. The day he died was the day our family fell apart. Mam never got over it. His column was sent off to wreck a bridge down in the valley so auxiliary convoys couldn't cross the river. They had no explosives or anything so they just went at it one night with pickaxes and hammers. Of course, they didn't make much of a dent and morning was fast approaching, but the lads were as stubborn as that bridge and they kept at it. Along comes a tan convoy at the crack of dawn. A few of the lads didn't have enough time to get away, so Pat decides to ambush the convoy. Pin them down for a few minutes so the lads still on the road can get away. A bullet caught Pat in the stomach before they could move off. He couldn't walk and the lads had no car or cart. They dragged him up the road to White's farm and hid him in the corner of the field down in a ditch. And that's where he died. 26 years old is all he was. When word reached the house, we knew he had to get the body before the tans did. Who knows what they'd do with him? 
And if they found him in whites, well, who knows what they'd do to them? My father, mother, sister, brother all got up into the cart. No one was stopping me from going too. It was a quiet ride down into the van. None of us cried when we saw his body. It didn't really look like Pat. It was like a waxwork of him. His eyes were closed. His clothes were stained black with dried blood. We got him up into the cart and covered him over with hay. All the way back up to the house, I was praying we wouldn't get stopped. I'm not sure we could have held it together. We couldn't properly wake him or bury him. So all we did was wait till nightfall and then we buried him down in O'Farrell's field. It was just played that week, so no one would notice anything disturbed. My father swore that when the war was done with, we'd move him to a proper cemetery and he'd get a military funeral. But the war was never done with. All that happened was one shower got replaced by another. The Tan War took one brother, and then my sister goes and marries a free stater. None of us went to the wedding. My father wouldn't even utter her name. It was like she never existed. We worked out ways of talking around any mention of her or my brother Pat. If any visitors mentioned either of them, they'd be met with blank faces and silence. They soon learned to stick to small talk in our house. A few months after the carpenter fight, Charlie finds me in a bar. Training hard, I see. What do you want, Charlie? I've got you a contender, venue, and a pass. I say, what's the catch this time? I know it's not in France, and America and England have refused to let me fight there. There's no catch. This is a legitimate fight with a proper contender. It's with Mark McTeague, a very impressive Irish boxer, working the American circuit. So are we going to America? Not yet. They want to fight in Dublin, in Ireland. I'm not fighting some boxcar paddy in Ireland. Isn't there still a war going on over there? And if I fight there, then there's no chance in hell that the English will ever let me fight in London. Shirley has the answers ready. He always does. He's a good fighter, but not so good. You can't take him. He's known in America, so beating him is your best route there. It will be safe. You'll have your own private guard. And the English, who cares about them? You want to fight in New York, not London, don't you? I am still not convinced. I'm not fighting in a bombed out backwater against a party nobody. I deserve better. I'm the world champion here. Charlie stays calm. Just says, okay, fine. Well, let's just forget about it for now and have a few drinks. Next thing I know, I'm waking up on a ship in the middle of the Irish Sea. After the war, the tans were gone, but the house still got raided by a bunch of jumped up boys playing soldier in their official uniforms. All they were really interested in doing was settling old scores. They came banging on the door one night with only myself and mam in the house. My father was down in the pub. Mam did her drinking in her room. 
she was out for the count. A bunch of them tear the place asunder. I know who they are. One brute satisfies his duty passion on me. Then they leave. I have to tell mum my situation. She just looks right through me. They both stop talking to me. Father Delaney arrives in his car the next month and takes me up to the nuns in Dublin. And then I am gone. Like my brother and sister, as if I've never existed. They take my baby boy off to a rescue agency. It's for the best, they say. When we arrive in Ireland, a crowd are already there waiting. What do you think of Ireland, city? I thought it would be greener. Did you bring your lion? I left him back home. He gets seasick. Are you concerned about your safety in the light of amusement order? One of the Irish organizers quickly responds. The, the Irish people need not heed any order that is not issued from the Irish government. Uh, all amusements will continue to operate normally, including the first ever World Championship boxing match to be staged in ERA. And we encourage anyone who still hasn't bought a ticket to do Suddenly, so. I'm bundled away onto a train by several armed men, my personal guard. They pace up and down the train, patting down passengers before removing them from my carriage. Shirley, what's this amusement order they are talking about? Why are they asking me if I'm worried about my personal safety? Nothing to worry about, Siki. Just some local radicals. They are trying to use the press from the fight to kick off a force. The locals really seem to be excited about this fight. Why don't we open up our training sessions up to the public? For a small fee, of course. That's Charlie. Nothing scares him except maybe the thought of losing out an opportunity to make a few more francs. What if I tried out some of their bars? Match the locals drink for drink. Win them over that way. One of my private guards speak up. We don't advise that, Mr. Siki. We wouldn't want to lose you in a crowded surrounding. I'm the only black man in Ireland. You won't lose sight of me easily. You kept yourself together. That's the main thing, the commander says to me. We've got another job for you, ladies. A very important job. Have you heard of this fight they're planning for St. Patrick's Day? Well, you'll have two minds this time. Everyone's going mad for this boxing match. There's newspaper men in from all around the world. This is our chance to show the world what we think of the sham government we're left with. Myself and Bridgie walk past the venue a few days before St. Patrick's Day to see where it would be best to drop the mines. We keep going up the street until we get to the rotunda. There's a queue of people out the door. What's going on? I ask a fella. We're going to get a look at the battling Siki. He's having an open training session today. They say he fights like a crazed savage. I'm bringing the young lad for a look. We report back to the commander. He already knows all about it. Siki has his own personal guard, the commander says. They've put a CID unit on him. The CID. Mick Collins' old hit squad. Those lads don't mess around. They started back in the tan war picking off the crown's G-men. Now they're after us. 
They were made an official intelligence unit by the Free Staters, but they're not like the rest of them. They run themselves. They shoot first, ask questions later. But if they do catch you, they have ways of getting information out of you. So they'll be on duty for the night of the fight, in plain clothes with Thompsons under their overcoats. I don't want anyone to get hurt, but violence is the only thing they understand. Am I worried that innocent people might be injured or even killed on account of my actions? Well, they've all been warned. An envelope is slipped under my hotel room door. The handwriting looks frantic and angry, but it's not in a language I understand. I show it to one of my guards on the way to training. He says it's in Gaelic, but he won't translate it. Whatever it says, it's not good. My battalion commander said they sent messages to both fighters, urging them to call it off or face the consequences. Then I hear the feckin' Egypt wrote a message in Irish. Did they expect a French Senegalese lad to be able to read Irish? It's fact night. is full to the brim. I'm the world champion. Why am I working out first? Ah yes, go on, Boomy. I'll soon shut you up. Martig is taking his time. Here he is. Go on, soak up those chairs while you can. There are soldiers everywhere. They are surrounding the ring, pushing the crowd back. They are standing guard at all the exits as well. Typical Bridgie, she's after speeding off me again. Slow down. Right, there's the general post office. The theater should be just after it to the left. We're to cycle right past it until we see the next lane, throw our minds in, and make it away as quick as we can. The place is teeming with guards and soldiers. They've blocked the road off to traffic. The fight must have started by now. That's the crowd cheering inside. Christ, there's soldiers everywhere. It's a death trap. We should just keep cycling past the alley. Forget this whole thing. There's Bridgie gone down the alley. Here we go. Light the fuse. Throw. Go on, Bridgie, get rid of yours. There should be a side door into the theatre down there. Stay calm. Don't cycle too fast. Keep going, Bridgie. Don't look behind you. Oh, Jesus, what are those young lads doing there? Should I say something? Are, are they far enough away? God, help them. Here we go. First round. Come on, my Tig. I'm over six kilo heavier than him. But he's eight centimeters taller and his reach is longer. He's a heavy hitter. This may take a while. That's one gun off. Where's the second? Don't look back. Keep pedaling. 
Hold on there. It's a soldier. Oh god, he's stopping us. He's, he's barely looking at me. Has his eyes fixed over my shoulder. I have to look around and see what's going on. There's a massive plume of dust coming out of the alley and engulfing the street. Soldiers are shouting and running down towards it. They disappear into the haze. Don't run in, you see, it's a soldier shouts. There might be more blasts. Wait till it clears. The doors at the side of the theatre have blown open and a soldier is lying on the ground. The crowd is rushing forward trying to break through the ringside cordon. Martig isn't moving. He must be as shocked as I am. A soldier is shouting, anyone tries to enter the ring and we will shoot. There's a priest in the middle of the ring. Everyone, it's fine. Quiet down. Quiet. For your own safety, we have to remain inside the theater. Everyone calm down so we can resume the boxing match. Resume boxing match? Are they mad? The dust is starting to clear. I can make it figures. The young lads are in the middle of the road. The blast must have turned them 10 yards. Who are they firing at? None of our lads are here. You'd better get out of here. Go on, before you get hurt. He's waving us on. Who are they shooting? The stupid feckers are shooting at each other. They must be. The referee signals for us to come out of our corners. We just stand there looking at each other for a second or two. But the crowd starts shouting and jeering. I hit him one, he swipes back, and we focus on the fight in the ring. He hits me hard on the top of my head in the 15th, so hard that his hand recoils and drops. I think he's broken a finger. We go at it, blow for blow, right to the end of the 20th round. I'm exhausted. That's it, it's over. I've won, I'm sure of it. There's no way he has beaten me. The crowd is so loud, I can barely hear the announcer. By unanimous decision, the new light heavyweight champion. The ref is holding my takes arm up. Fixed again. They bundled me into a car and tell me to keep my head down. I can hear gunfire as we speed along the streets. The fight is all over the paper. They actually finished the fight, even with bombs going off. I have to hand it to them, they're determined. The Irish boxer won, of course. Uh, let me skip down to the bit about the explosion. Botched bombing attempt, it says didn't disrupt the fight or deter the 2,000-strong crowd, although all patrons were forced to remain in the theatre until a running gun battle was concluded outside on Sackville Street. A 16-year-old boy was injured by flying debris from the initial blast. Two state soldiers received gunshot wounds. Two men, presumed irregulars, were taken into custody at Oriel House, but were later released without charge. <laughs> the feckers were shooting at each other. They even arrested their own fellas. The young lad, though. How badly was he injured, I wonder? Bridgie is fairly shook up after it. 
and there's been no word at all from the commander. Is that them finished with us now? How long is this going to go on for? Maybe it's time to get out. I don't see us winning this fight. It's all a fix. Bridgie is talking about going to America. She has a cousin in New York City. Sure, I might as well go with her. Epilogue. The Irish Civil War came to a close in 1923, when facing impossible odds, IRA rebels dumped their arms. Ten months of vicious fighting turned former comrades against each other. For many people, it was better not to speak of that period and to pretend to forget. The bitterness of the conflict cast a long shadow over the new state for decades to come. Siki became a notorious figure in New York's Hell's Kitchen. He never got another title shot and never fought Jack Johnson. Bar brawls and nights in jail for drunken behaviour became a common occurrence for him. Just a few short years after losing his world title in Dublin, the battling Siki lost his life at the age of 28. On December 15, 1925, Siki was shot twice in the back on a dark New York street. He managed to crawl almost 40 feet in the direction of his home before he collapsed and died. His murder was never solved. Lizzie eventually settled in Hoboken, New Jersey. She married and raised a family there. She never returned to Ireland and never found out what became of her first son, who she named Pat. This has been a story for yarnpodcast.com Written by John Roach With the voices of Laura Mary Byrne and Ibrahim Sarikaba. Kaba